Welcome, friends, to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast, where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. I am your host, Curtis Kopotic, and I am joined by my co-host, Amber Brown. Hey, Curtis. Today, we've got Joe Kutach with Fit for Work. He is a safety and environmental specialist. Joe's got 38 years of safety specialty with Frito-Lay, 25 of those with EHS manager, and then 15 years of experience with OSHA as well. Now, how that translates into us and why he, we're interviewing him is he's going to tell us and break down a lot of EPA regulations as far as how to avoid paying all these wonderful fines. They can range anywhere from $3,000 to if you have a bad enough issue, it can be up or $1,300,000 dollars is where penalties have been assessed to companies. So thinking about that, definitely need to take care of our EPA standards. So just by listening to our podcast, you all could be saving a lot of money today. So take a listen to what Joe has to say about EPA and some of those regulations. And hopefully you learned something like we did. So thanks for joining us, Joe. And today we are going to be talking about your expertise in dealing with the EPA. So what has been your kind of experience with the EPA? What are some of the things that the EPA covers that our listeners should be aware of? Well, the EPA focuses mostly on enforcement and compliance assurance resources that are driven mostly by air, hazardous chemicals, and water. It takes time to come up with what they're going to really look at because it goes by what president we have. Each president has their own little agenda and format that they go off of. And, uh, you know, some will go off of water, some will go off of air, some will dive into oil. And that's what the EPA goes after. There are five main things that you always have to have in place just in case one of them comes up. And that is obviously air, hazardous chemicals, waste, spill, and water. And those always have to be up to date and in progress. If not, they'll EPA shows up at your door, it's too late to get it in order, and there comes fines. When we're looking at air, they look for reducing harmful pollutants. They're not just so much how much cloud dust you put in the air, but what kind of pollutants you're putting into the air. I also started looking at going into cars now. If you go to California, you have to have emissions controls and things like that. And they're looking at aftermarket defeat devices is what they're looking for now. People are learning how to get around having all those mufflers that reduce the harmful effects on the air. Hazardous chemicals, it's always about storage and accidental release. They go and walk your site, see what you're killing. (laughs) If you got a lot of dead birds in the parking lot or dead fishes floating in the water, they might get after you for that. You don't want that. And when it does come to water, It's all about what you're releasing into the water or how close you are to a natural stream or what you're producing that could make a byproduct for the water. I do remember some of those issues happening up here in Minnesota in my lifetime. So I, and we are very protective about our water up here. So I know that can be an issue. So these national compliance initiatives that go on with the presidency, so there's really no kind of warning. Everybody's got to be ready if an environmental audit would take place, correct? That is correct. You get a kind of a warning because you know what the platform the president's running on, but by, and also by state. In Minnesota, obviously, you'll have water. Texas, we're going to be big on oil <laughs> and how we're fracking you know, when we were doing the fracking with the earth and all that. And then California, they go off of anything. They just find something, tulips and daisies or something, you know? <laughs> how long 
does an environmental audit take? It depends on the site and what they produce, but it normally takes two to four days, depending, again, on how big the site is. And if we get around on golf carts, then it might take a little longer. But uh, walking the site is a big part of that. But it goes in phases. You have an internal phase is phase one. That's usually a books and building. And that's usually where most audits are driven by or concerned about. You go look at all the books, make sure that every permit's there, that you've done all your reporting that you have to do. And then also, do you have programs in place? Do you do training and things like that? And then we walk the site. Walking the site probably gives you the best snapshot for looking around to see if you have any environmental issues or discrepancies. And what happens with sites or plants or companies is they get comfortable. You walk by something different and you say, what's that? And they go, oh, it's always been there. We don't know. And that's when you get into problems. So that's why the walk around the building is a very long time. We go into the very far corners. We look for things that you might be accustomed to seeing. It's what I call backdoor auditing. I've always used that term. You know, we get very habit forming where we pull into a parking lot and we want to park the same spot. We go get our coffee at the same place. You go turn your light on your office that same way. And, and then when you go walk out to the floor or whatever, you go exact same path. And you see the same things over and over and you get very accustomed to seeing them. Sometimes everybody needs to come in the back door and you see different things. You'll see a different view of what you're looking for. And that's what environmental is all about. You know, safety, you look at OSHA records and who's getting hurt. But environmental, you look at what's that? And if you can't, don't know what that is, you might be in trouble. And so is that something that you or other members of Fit for Work will do to go about and to check those things out? Or how do, you, how do you get involved with this? That's exactly what we do. It's one of my favorite things to do is audit a site. I was, I'm a great auditor. I'm a terrible auditee. <laughs> I don't like people coming into my site telling me what to do. But, <laughs> but uh, and I'll be honest with you, back when I was a safety manager and EHS manager at Frito-Lay, I, I loved it because it made me get up and go do extra. I always say it's like your mother-in-law coming over. You clean behind the table, not just on top. Audits are what you want. It's better to have an audit done by an outside company such as Fit for Work better than have an EPA come in and audit you. The other type of audit is if you're going to buy a building or you're going to buy a site, we'll come in audit and look to see what was there before. You don't want to buy a company and find out they were making nuclear waste and throwing it out in the backyard because you're going to have to clean all that up. That is extremely expensive. We do a lot of that kind of work. What, out of curiosity, what do you think is the most commonly leftover hazard? Is it something as simple as paint or what, what are things that people have to usually clean up? Oil drums. Oil drums that had a little bit of oil in them and they left the bung cover off. That's the little hole at the top. They get filled up with rainwater. Now, you you know, where you had, oh, say, five ounces of oil, now you have 55 gallons of nasty water oil, and that's hard to get rid of. Paint is another thing you see, but mostly it's oil cans, 55-gallon drums. Very similar in my experience to what you find when you buy a new building such as a house. <laughs> both of the houses I've purchased have ended up with both of those uh, hazards left over that you have to somehow get rid of. Joe, when should one of these environmental audits or assessments take place? It depends. An audit every year is good. You don't have to, though. It depends on your program and how you're set up. 
I would say if you haven't had an audit in two to three years, I would say you need to have one done just to get you started. But once you start having them and you get all of your stuff in place, you don't have to have them that often. They're not required. They're not a yearly thing that you have to do, but you should do one at least. If you haven't had one done in three years, stuff accumulates. And we always say stuff because we never know what the stuff is. And that's the scary part. A different set of eyes is always good to come look because I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, the big biggest thing we see that happens with environmental is we get accustomed to it always being there and we get used to it being there. It's just like it, when you were buying the house. It's amazing how we have to fix up a house to move when it was fine when we were living there. So you kind of wonder, <laughs> you, know, you know, it was fine for me, but not for someone else. I always say it's like you kick your shoes off in the same place every day when you come home. A, a visitor comes over and looks and says, wow, that's where they put them. That's what environmental is all about. But having an audit done on a regular basis is good because it's a different set of eyes. You also bring in professionals that know what to look for. And we go into the dark corners. I won't walk down the main aisles. Always the main aisles are clean, okay? But the little corners are the ones that have the hidden stuff. Now, what is some of the requirements that people are going to find? Is this going to be based on their state? Or I know the EPA is a national organization, but do the requirements change at all by state? Or is it just a one same federal mandate for every location? There are the basics. I mean, you know, they're always, you have to have everything labeled. You have to have everything organized. You can't be having this big black cloud coming out of your building and hanging above your site. But some states do have different requirements. And if you go to epa.gov and make sure it's .gov, not .com, and look up what your state is, you can find out what your specific state requirements are. But normally it's the same across the board. It's always going to be, what. how's your air? How are you storing things? Do you have things in place for spill? And what are you doing with wastewater? Or if you have any wastewater and also stormwater. Those are your basics when it comes to environmental. You always want to be looking at that. A little break in our interview today to let you know that Fit for Work can help you out with any type of safety analysis and assessment. From facility inspections to safety compliance assessments required by OSHA, EPA, or FMCSA standards, we'll take a look at all aspects of your environment to identify risks and formulate a plan to mitigate them. So give us a call or visit our website at www.wellworkforce.com. Dot com and click on the connect with us button. Now, what type of trainings need to be in place at these locations for them to be compliant? Is there resources on what is the minimum requirement for trainings? Well, each one will have a different amount of training. Air, you'll have to have someone trained there that can look up and say if it's gray or black or white or whatever the smoke coming, your emissions coming out of your building. When it comes to hazardous waste, you have to have people trained on DOT. They have to sign off on the manifest that they're shipping it correctly and it has the proper labeling before it leaves your site a big one on that is you know somebody takes a barrel let's say you had 15 empty 55 gallon drums on site you just wanted to get rid of them they're all empty so billy bob comes along and says i'll take them for five dollars a barrel you know and you say great because the other place wanted to charge me 150 dollars a barrel and you give it to him and he takes and puts something in those barrels and leaves them in the middle of a field somewhere and there it has your name of your company on it guess who pays for that not billy bob <laughs> it's gonna be you 
it. So you have to watch Ooh, out for it. Yeah. That is an interesting technicality. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't go to Billy Bob. It goes to whoever that's got the biggest pockets. And normally it's the company that had those 55-gallon drums. When it comes to spill, now there you have to do extensive training. You have to do classroom and you have to do hands-on. You actually have to go out and do a mock spill. I always love doing those. Those are fun because you'd be surprised how much five gallons spreads out over on a parking lot. And people just freak out and don't know how to clean it up or how to stop it from getting to the drains. What that'll help you with is getting the right spill equipment in place. You know, you just don't throw a couple of boxes of tissue on it, you know, <laughs> on a oil spill or something. You have to have the right equipment. So training is very important. We help out a lot with that. Sounds like you need to apply for Mike Rowe's dirty jobs. I think that, that <laughs> you you would qualify perfectly for that one. <laughs> I say after 38 years of Frito Lay, I have seen it all. <laughs> I believe it. I mean, you talk about the training that needs to be done. What other kind of reports, records, documents, contingency plans even, you know, what type of things should someone have on record for an audit? Permits are a big thing. You have wastewater permits, stormwater permits. If you applied all, it depends on the business, of course. And I'm just being general here and just including everybody should have everything. Your air emissions reports should be filed. If you're a large or small quantity generator when it comes to hazardous waste, you have to have all your manifest in place and show that you did it right. When it comes to your spill plan, your spill plan should be recertified every five years. Or if you do any type of major renovations or expansions, you have to redo your spill plan. Those are all records that have to be on place. Permits are a big deal. I mean, there's many different types of permits. And where do you think companies usually fall short? Is it mainly in the permits or in leaving things out? Or is there a different thing that you find to be commonly left out that people need to be cleaned up or changed? I would probably say when it comes to the the most common thing we see is 55-gallon drums and storage of those 55-gallon drums. Storage, segregation, containment. I mean, those drums build up. They just accumulate, and everybody just moves them and piles them up, and then they stick them outside. Once they stick them outside, then you're bringing in stormwater, wastewater, all that comes into place. But if I was going to say there's one major thing we look for, it's 55-gallon drums either not being labeled, not being segregated, or not being stored correctly. Those those are probably the biggest things. When it comes to permits, they tend to forget that they have to renew them every one year, two years, three years, whatever the requirement is for that state. Now, that will change. So you do have to look that up. That's where these environmental geeks come from, like myself. <laughs> we, we actually study that stuff. We could come in and tell you when it takes, when you've got to have this redone and that done. Those are probably the biggest mistakes we find or biggest outages we find. Joe, with those 50-gallon oil drums sitting outside, I can imagine some of them, if they're left long enough, they'll rust and you'll, you've got some kind of a spill going on. What is required for spill prevention control plans? Okay, that's a good one. If you store 1,320 gallons in 55-gallon drums, now everybody goes, what's that? Well, that's 24 barrels. If you have 24 barrels on your property at any one time, you have to have a spill plant. Or if you have underground oil storage capacity of 42,000 gallons, a lot of places don't have underground storage no more. They're going above. So that's a good thing. But you have to know your area to find out 
if you were to spill something, where's it going to go? Is it going to go down the storm sewer and head to the POW? POW is your wastewater treatment site inside in the middle of the city. Or if it's going to go to a stream, and where does that stream go to? Even if it's like a culvert on the side of your building that collects all the storm water, if something can run into that storm drain or that culvert, and then that rainwater takes that chemical or, or oil into the lake or river, kills all the fish, guess who's paying for all that? They'll trace it all the way back. We've actually walked through some fields and found a stream of oil that was going at one site. So those are what you have to watch for on a spill plan. You also have to have contingencies for what to do, how to clean it up which means you have to have spill kits in the right areas. Make sure they have the right stuff in it. What happens is people will buy a spill kit from whoever, and they think it's a generalized spill kit. Well, they take it, and it'll have all oil booms, but they need chemical booms, and they don't have those in there. And It doesn't work that way. That's one thing you have to make sure that you're, it's in part of your spill plan. The other thing is it has to have training. I said it earlier that you have to do classroom training. In other words, here's our areas of opportunity for spills, and here's how we're going to handle it. And then you actually have to go out and do the drills. Actually spill, you can use colored water. You don't have to spill oil, but colored water works just as good as oil. It's a little easier to clean up, and it doesn't kill anything. (laughs) And it has to be recertified every five years. And the numbers, now for anybody that's going to put a spill plan together. They need to make sure that they have their emergency numbers either on a red piece of paper in the book or a different tab that says emergency numbers so you can get to it quick. Because when you do have a spill, all heck breaks loose. It's, what do we do? What do we do? Who do we call? And you have to have that ready to go on the instant. And they have to be accurate. Update. You don't want to call the wrong number and then try to, who do you call? You know, you, Spill Busters is not out there. <laughs> it might be a good company name. We can definitely patent that. I like it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what are some of those resources that people can get out there and, and make sure that they are up to date that are simple to, and easy to reference. The easiest way is to call Fit for Work, but uh, <laughs> we'll tell you. But uh, the enforcement bases are, it's www.epa.gov slash enforcement and then it's slash basic information dash enforcement. You go to that website and you can type in anything you want to type and it'll answer your question for you. But you can also do history online to see what uh, search for facilities that have had any EPA issues. You can investigate pollution sources. You can also search for EPA enforcement cases. Who's been out there? And that's the biggest thing about environmental. It's not, yeah, we don't want to kill the birds and the bees and all that. But you don't want to get that public recognition out there that with all this modern social media out there, everything goes across the airway so fast that you were a pollute. You don't want to be accused of that. And that's why you want to make sure your environmental program is up to date. You're doing the right things. You know, you're taking care of the land around you. You're not exposing your employees to toxic fumes or chemicals that don't have PPE for. Once that gets out on the social media, people stop buying your products and they're big on that. You know, there's a lot of people out there right now that are environmental buy-wise. That is a true statement. I, I feel that that is definitely a big, it's becoming more important. People are using their wallets as their messaging platform, if you will. So I really appreciate this overview of the EPA and I think it gives people a lot of good food 
food for thought on things that they may not have thought of otherwise. Any final uh, sum up of the EPA and what people should do before we sign off? The one thing is don't be afraid of it. I mean, they're there to help you. Bringing in an auditor is not going to get you fined or anything like that or put you on the radar. It's there to help you. Don't wait. I would say, please don't wait. If you are producing any type of air emissions, chemicals that you store on site, large quantities, if you're making a product that puts out some type of byproduct, if you use water to make your product, you have wastewater. All those you have to watch out for. Don't wait until EPA or your neighbor. That's a big one. We got called to go audit a lot of places because the neighbors were complaining either their smell or they didn't like the way the, the streets were. They get, they were slick. We went to one site that the neighbor was complaining that the roads were slick and it was coming from, from that plant over there. You know, We had to go investigate that. So your neighbors, you got to watch out for it too. Don't wait. Bring in an auditor. It's very good. You don't have to do it very often. It's not that expensive. And we come in and help tell you what you have to do to get it right and help you get it right. Offer suggestions, but don't wait. That's the biggest problem is people wait too long before they have one and then it's too late. And then you have hundreds of drums to clean up, not just two or three. We really want to thank you for taking time and and talking with us this morning. And I don't know about our listeners, but man, if you could come along and and add all the comedic relief to an audit, I think that I'd I'd request Joe to come over to do the audit for me. But just want to thank you again for talking to us about the EPA and, and everything that you've seen in your years of experience. You're welcome. And I love auditing. Auditing is fun. I mean, and then working on how to fix the audit stuff. That's the the biggest part of it. And it always gives you a good feeling. If you like what you're doing, it's fun doing it. I've always said, don't do it if it ain't fun. So I can make an audit fun. And, you know, a lot of people think audits are like uh, dental visits, but they're, <laughs> they're not. They can get you in order and then make your life a lot easier so you don't have to worry about it. Fantastic. Well, thank you for your time, Joey. Appreciate it. You're welcome very much. Joe really is a a good guy. Uh, I met him the first time about six years ago when I first started with Fit for Work when I toured Frito-Lay just to hear his knowledge on the subject. I mean, I didn't know he'd even did any of this back then, but to hear how you know humble and concise he is and just taking care of business, doing things the right way with helping companies is great. I really appreciated his approach of going through the back door, walking a different way, looking in the dark corners because that's we, we love to push things off to the side as humans. It's kind of in our nature out of sight, out of mind. So making that conscious effort to go out of your way and find those things that are that are hiding in the corners that can probably, you know, bring about a lot of heartache if the EPA shows up. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about it and this is applicable to anyone. This isn't just your giant corporations that are out there and, you know, have emissions. Just in talking with him, you know, and I mentioned about buying new houses and I've had to remove an oil drum from my, one of the basements of the houses that I bought. This house I'm currently in, I still have paint left over from the previous owner. So even just a mom and pop, a neighborhood setup, and you rent a space to get your screen printing 
shop going, you've got to take a look at in those dark and dingy corners or have a have a guy like Joe come out and help you help you go in that back door and kind of take a look around and see if there's anything that you need to be worried about. So that's something I took away is just that it, it's not just the giant corporations, but really everybody should be prepared and, and have a look around, not just in case the EPA comes after you, but doing what is good and your good stewardship over our environment. For sure. So thank you for listening to this episode of Workplace Injury Prevention of Fit for Work podcast, where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. To get started preventing injuries, please visit our website at wellworkforce.com or email us with any questions or comments to podcast at wellworkforce.com. And please like and subscribe wherever you listen. And remember, prevention improves lives. 